I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. On today's broadcast, we begin with my explanation of why Biden's proposed gas tax holiday is doo-doo economics. That's right. You heard it here first. It is a de facto handout to the oil and gas industry that Biden is fond of scolding, and it won't make a difference to your family's personal finances. And perhaps most importantly, it reveals that Big Joey has no more tricks up his sleeve aside from, of course, drilling, which he won't do. We get into more economic headlines, including Biden and Fed Chair Jerome Powell blatantly contradicting each other before we shift focus to John Cornyn and his gun-grabbing agenda. Now the Republican Texas senator says he was joking about reintroducing an amnesty bill. Who jokes about this? Out-of-touch GOP establishment elites, apparently. Of course, we have our woke update today, and we focus on branches of the U.S. Armed Forces continuing to pander to the gender non-binary and two-spirit communities. I'm sure our enemies are quaking in their boots. And then we round up political headlines, including that Ron DeSantis has actually caught Donald Trump in a New Hampshire GOP primary poll. All that, plus much more, in the opening of the show. And we have two terrific guests. The first is Trent Talbert. CEO of Brave Books, which is making literature for children with conservative and Christian values. And then we speak to Breitbart News Rome Bureau Chief, Dr. Tom Williams, who's also a theologian, about whether the Pope is going to resign anytime soon. And then we get his take on Joe Biden, an alleged Catholic, and his radical trans agenda that he developed seemingly overnight. All that to come. Let's get into it. Um, I will begin with a quick preview of uh, what is to come in the world, where today is another day of uh, seeing whether or not we are going to get major Supreme Court decisions. We are going to get some Supreme Court decisions. There are several left. As noted, the historic cases that are looming Uh, continue to be on abortion, religious liberty, guns. There's a lot more. A big religious liberty victory on Monday, but there's still still five major decisions remaining. And the way Ken Klukowski, our legal contributor, describes it, three of them are huge and potentially historic, um, particularly those on abortion, the Dobbs case, Second Amendment, and religious liberty. So we're also waiting for Biden versus Texas on Remain in Mexico and uh, a major First Amendment case called Carson versus Macken that uh, versus Macon. Um, and I think that's how you I think, it's, I think that's what it's called. Uh, it's a First Amendment case for um, regarding a. Um, oh, no, no. That was when we got Monday. That was a big. This is why I'm, com- I'm, I'm confused because we got this one Monday. So this is the good one where the. Christian schools could not be discriminated against in aid programs, which was awesome. So that was a big one. So um, we are, uh, there's also a big environmental case. There's a lot to come and we should get something big today. So, and uh, could potentially get the Dobbs case and the Dobbs case, I think will set the world on fire if it is, uh, regardless of what it is, because again, that's the abortion case where if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, uh, we know a lot of people are going to light themselves on fire, figuratively speaking, maybe literally speaking, but probably figuratively. And if the case is uh, affirms Roe versus Wade, I think a lot of people will see this as a big blow to the integrity of the court because it appears, it will appear for sure that that is because 
um, of that uh, malicious leak that was done likely by one of the left-wing uh, clerks in of the Alito decision that looked like a, a majority decision. So if that's now a minority decision, um, then it, it, I think a lot of people draw the conclusion that it was due to a massive pressure on a nationwide level due to that leak. So all that to come, and we could get it today, if not Monday, and then if not Monday, I think they can extend it up to one more week, and that's that. That's that. Okay, um, to get into the news, uh, Joe Biden has demanded that gas stations lower prices. Do it now, he says. Isn't that awesome? So he is not only uh, suggesting that he wants to have a federal gas tax suspension time, a gas tax holiday, uh, but he's demanded that gas stations lower prices. It's the I don't understand why he would do such a blatantly empty gesture. Uh, pretend like he's such a tough guy. We all watched him uh, topple over a bicycle over the weekend. We know he's not a tough guy. E- even if you thought he was a tough guy at one point, I don't know how this, uh, who he thinks he's convincing. Um, but for him to suggest just do it now, it's just stupid. He's just being stupid now. These are not normal times. Bring down the prices you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you are paying for the product. Do it now. Do it today. It's just rhetoric, literally just rhetoric. There's nothing behind it. He's no ability to um, control the prices of gas, as he said. And if he did, then this is not the way to do it. So this is where I do not emphasize. I do not empathize. I do empathize to a degree with a Kareem Jean-Pierre, though. She's was never going to do a good job. But for her trying to deal with the uh, trying to explain the stuff. How could she translate this to the public? That Biden, who first of all says he does not have control of the gas prices so he can get out of too much blame. Then he says, well, uh, do it now as if he does have control over the gas prices to the people who are charging money at the gas station. Now, the, what makes this extra silly is this gas tax holiday that he has proposed, which I'm coining a phrase right now. A gas tax holiday is doo-doo economics. You've heard of voodoo economics. That's doo-doo economics. Because here's what happens when you have a gas tax holiday. What ends up happening is that you are just providing, you're pumping more money, essentially a free stimulus in the economy, and that actually drives prices up. Because the, 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 due to the laws of supply and demand, it just allows for the, those who are providing the supply to just raise the rates. Because the demand is just as high, and now people have an easier ability to pay for it. Thus, you can actually charge more. So that is essentially a stimulus, not just for, for you, who will get the Biden gas bucks or Biden bucks, which are really just your bucks, of course. But it's just going to mean that the prices will go up even more. It's inflationary. It's blatantly inflationary. We've got a clip of President Big Joey talking about some of this stuff. Let's play cut one, Haley. Today I'm calling on Congress to suspend the federal gas tax for the next 90 days through the busy summer season, busy travel season. Here's what that means. Every time you go to the gas station to fill your tank, the federal government charges an 18 cents tax per gallon of gas that you purchase and a 24 cent tax per gallon of diesel you purchase. It's a tax that's been around for 90 years. It's important because we use it for the highway trust fund to keep our highways going. But 
What I'm proposing is suspending the federal gas tax without affecting the highway trust fund. And here's how we do that. With the tax revenues up this year and our deficit down over $1.6 trillion this year alone, we'll still be able to fix our highways and bring down prices of gas. We can do both at the same time. By suspending the 18 cent gas tax, federal gas tax, for the next 90 days, we can bring down the price of gas and give families just a little bit of relief. I call on the companies to pass this along every penny of this 18 cent reduction to the consumers. This is, there's no time now for profiteering. There are a number of other proposals by Democrats in the House and the Senate, and I hope my call for action can help move those proposals forward as well. Uh, it's just silliness. It's just silliness. He can't call on them to do anything. They're going to charge whatever the market rate is to be competitive. Uh, this is basic economics. We're not in a communist country. You can't just d- announce that uh, you have to charge whatever Joey the Biden says so with his 32 appro- approval rating. How the world works. So for three months, if he gets his way, we'll have no 18 cents a gallon gas tax. I was doing the math on um, the, I was doing the math on how much that would save my family ballpark over the course of the uh, 90 days. And I figured it's about $65. And I think I probably have a pretty average um, gas usage, maybe a little below average because I work from home. Mrs. Dr. Marlowe's commute is pretty short. But, you know, we're slapping the kids' places, and uh, we have our um, main car is very big and takes premium gas. So I, I'm, I'm guessing it's pretty typical, maybe a little below average, but 65 bucks over three months. And, of course, 65 bucks of our money, essentially. So it's the, this, is, this is so desperate. It's such a pathetic effort. It's such a, it actually is something, and this is something that, uh, who had this take? Um, someone had this take. I think it might have been the Wall Street Journal, but it was a, yes, exactly, Wall Street Journal. No, I'm sorry, a Wall Street analyst. A Wall Street analyst for the investment bank ISI Evercore said on Monday that the gas tax holiday shows Biden's quiver is empty. Exactly, exactly right. So he is not going to be ramping up production of energy. He's not going to be ramping up drilling. He's not going to be ramping up um, more permits, allowing people to tap our natural resources. He's going to suspend a 18 cents a gallon tax for three months. At least that's what he wants to do. Which is just going to lead to the gas companies charging more. So it's going to be. So... Um, it's just silliness. Literally a silly idea. Blatantly inflationary as well. It will add to inflation. Do it now. He's also said to lower the price of electric vehicles to fight high gas prices. So uh, those of you who are hurting at the pump now, just remember the average cost of an electric vehicle is $60,000 according to reports. So if you can somehow find $60,000 lying around or hey you can finance it even though interest rates are going up try to finance it and then uh, you'll be saving you'll be able to save 80 bucks a month on gas on average 
And of course, you know, you might want to go all in for a few grand and get your own uh, charging system set up at your house. It's ridiculous. And it's all because he is to pander the green lobby. Um, his incentives, if you look at the structure of his, uh, the, the way he's conducted his energy policy, is he's actually incentivizing energy companies to focus on carbon capture and not fossil fuel production. So this is where the energy companies are uh, seeing their greatest benefit is to focus on this idea of carbon capture where you're actually trying to suck the carbon out of the air and inject it into the ground. Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm not saying there's nothing to this, but I will tell you that that is where the incentives, incentives are in Biden's America. Not to drill, baby drill, to suck the carbon out of the earth. That's, that's what he is injected in the earth. That's where his energy policy has lied. Even Democrats are likely to oppose the gas tax holiday. Uh, Joe Manchin is already out saying it doesn't seem like a good idea to him. Barack Obama had mocked a gas tax holiday as a gimmick. Yes, that is correct. Back in 2008. He says, um, the, the we're offering gimmicks and we're offering the same thing that John McCain is offering on the cheap. Heckley McCain, for I guess, offering the same thing. Pretty funny. So um, for, this is from 2008. For us to suggest 30 cents a day for three months is real relief. That's a real energy policy. It means we are not tackling the problem that has to be tackled. Good stuff. That was Obama in 2008, right on the money. Biden shut down domestic oil and gas supplies, even though he's calling for more production. This is another awesome one. So he says that we need, we, he's demanding more production, even though he's cutting off supplies and he's not allowing for additional permits. So I'm saying this is doo-doo economics. There is nothing here that could possibly work. He's not giving us anything that would work. Even the Democrats get it. And they're going to try to run from him a little bit because he just is a sinking ship. He's falling down, literally and figuratively. The Biden administration had predicted that gas prices would drop below $3. Now the national average is above $5. Now, what far off era did his administration predict that gas would be below $3? The answer, December of 2021, so six months ago. Isn't that something? I caught this. I was doing my rounds um, preparing. I think it was for yesterday's show, and I caught this headline from CNN from December 8th of last year. Gas prices will tumble below $3 a gallon soon, the government forecasts. And the good boys and girls over at CNN just, just tap, 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 tap it out. Stenographer for Biden. <laughs> It's a, uh, we laugh so we don't cry to some degree. But um, three bucks a gallon, three bucks a gallon. Imagine that. It's over five on average, and um, my neighborhood's closing on seven. I've been filling up for about 130 bucks for the last several months. Uh, surreal numbers, surreal numbers. So that's a. Uh, they're clueless too, which is sad because it would be nice if they actually did have some solutions here, but they don't. A Washington Post 
columnist named Michelle Singletary was on MSNBC literally telling people to stop complaining and calm down about inflation. You are not suffering. Isn't that great? So I'm going to need you to calm down and back off. It feeds into this fear and people making decisions that create the very things they're fearful of. And you're in that category. Calm down. Stop looking at your portfolio. You know what you can do with that energy? Help people put food on the table of someone else's house because you have extra. So anyone who's responsible saving money, now you are told condescendingly on MSNBC by Washington Post columnist, you have extra. How dare you try to save money and invest it? Wow. You are not suffering. See, it's a, yeah, we're not suffering relative to, you know, the people in the Holocaust or the people who were enslaved or the Uyghurs in concentration camps right now, but we're suffering relative to where we were before Joe Biden got in there and screwed up our economy, Michelle Singletary. Overall, she says many Americans are not suffering as much as they think they are. So just suck it up, buttercup, all of you who you know, lost two-thirds of all of your uh, crypto savings. Um, how about all of you invested in Disney and Netflix and Spotify and have all lost half your money? None of you are suffering. doesn't count. Those of you who uh, cannot afford gas now, you're not suffering either. Okay. Biden's uh, advisor, senior advisor. Ooh, he's senior. Gene Sperling. Uh, who looks like a character in The Sopranos. I don't tend to make a lot of the, the personal comments, but it just is very striking. Gene Sperling does, definitely looks like one of the one of the capos in The Sopranos. And who swears that uh, Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, didn't contradict Biden um, and insisted that gas prices are due solely to Russia. Isn't that nice? What, what is clear, though, is the gas price element is due solely to what we've seen from the aggression, meaning Putin's aggression. That's nice. Uh, of course, this is not true. The Fed chair, Jerome Powell, has shot down the Biden administration's Putin price hikes inflation spin. So uh, Powell feeling the heat and um, distancing himself from Big Joey. So nearly all Americans agree with Powell. Just 11% believe that uh, Putin is responsible for the stuff. And the math is is true. I mean, not to say that Putin doesn't have a small role. You know, 10%, maybe 20% wouldn't be charitable. But it's not uh, what we're seeing now. The rest of it is Big Joey and everyone else involved. All right, um, next up, moving on to the gun issue. Um, most independents and Republicans believe that red flag laws would be abused by the government. So this is exactly why those of you who have any uh, empathy towards passing some sort of a bipartisan gun control bill that's being offered by John Cornyn is bad move. And I just don't get why this has got a 14 Republicans in the Senate are uh, yes votes on this. I'm not sure what the future is like in the House. Uh, Cornyn's obviously angling for some sort of leadership role to succeed Mitch, Mitch McConnell. Uh, perhaps as majority leader one day. But Cornyn's brushed off the NRA, which has come out and uh, against this. 
saying that they're trying to veto good public policy. Um, I don't know why they rush this so fast and why they want to compromise. It is, I will tell you right now, and those of you who are elected people or working in an office of an elected person on the Republican side, I'm offering you some of the top insights I can offer from our data analytics that we examine at Breitbart. Uh, eyeballing eight figures worth of conservative voters every single day, seeing what they're interested in. Uh, I will I will tell you what we're looking at. We are looking at the conservative base. Wants you to write it out, win the election November, and then we can talk about policy and legislation. No compromising with Big Joey and the Democrats through November. Don't do it. There's virtually no issues where you will score any points. The base is crystal clear on this. They do not want to make compromise and make nice-nice with the gun grabbers, with the Eric Swalwells of the world. They don't want to do it. So there is no daylight here. Uh, I'm giving you the benefit of state-of-the-art analysis with tools and brilliant minds. It is crystal. The public doesn't want it. At least the conservative base doesn't want it. They don't want this stuff. And they all believe red flag laws will be used to uh, have subjective people with political motivations to take away and infringe upon the Second Amendment that is enshrined in our Constitution. That is the goal. Amy Klobuchar admitted flat out the Senate gun control bill paves the way for other gun control measures. Boom. Exactly. That's it. Everyone gets it. So that's where we're at. And John Cornyn is the ultimate out-of-touch guy. Ultimate out-of-touch guy. You know how I know that? Because he was joking, he said, when I brought this up on yesterday's show, when he said there is an amnesty bill that's going to happen next. So he teased that after we're going to do gun control, the next step, uh, we're going to do amnesty. And everyone took him seriously. Even the House Judiciary GOP put out a tweet, basically... Perrying Cornyn, I brought up on yesterday's show, was part of yesterday's podcast. So if you get the Breitbart News Daily podcast, I talked about this. Um, people went absolutely apoplectic on Breitbart's comment section, our social media pages, because Cornyn's talking about amnesty next. And we know Cornyn would love to do amnesty if he was in charge. Establishment guy, establishment loves amnesty. The establishment in the Republican Party in Texas in particular, I love amnesty. That's the Bushes. The Bushes would love to do amnesty if they could raise a, wave a magic wand. They would do it instantly. Corn is part of that. So then he comes out and he says flat out that uh, there's no secret amnesty bill. And he was joking. Wow, he's a real comedian. He's almost as funny as Colbert. They should um, have a powwow. See who's uh, the least funny political person in Washington. Colbert used to be funny, by the way, before he uh, went full politics. Who, who would find this funny right now? Americans are having a hard time affording gas. We're seeing our savings dwindle. We've got open border. We've got fentanyl streaming over the border. China's still eating our lunch. It is a tough time to be an American relative to what it was, and we're making jokes now about whether or not we're going to have amnesty for legal aliens, I guess. So out of touch. The the elite are so out of touch in this country. The oligarchy, the aristocracy, 
however you want to call it, they're, they've lost it. They've completely lost the plot. They've completely lost the plot. Um, we're writing this up at Breitbart. NPR put out a big study yesterday showing that uh, journalists, the vast majority of journalists, believe that they are reporting the biggest news to Americans. About two-thirds in all are very confident that they're picking the right stuff. And only about a third of the public actually thinks that what journalists are reporting on is what matters most. Those numbers make perfect sense to me. So if you throw a rock and hit a journalist, two out of three are really confident that they're picking the, picking the right stuff. Uh, you throw a rock, you hit a civilian, one out of three actually believe the media at this point. I think that uh, makes almost exact perfect sense, um, at least in terms of my... Um, th- th- that's, that, that would be almost my exact guess, and that's what this survey, which I think was a Pew survey, um, reported. It just reminds you of how we are moving into this two, we're moving almost into like a caste system. And it is harder to revert, to traverse from class to class, to go from middle class to the upper class or the working class to the middle class. All right, a few other things that I will bring up. Um, some of these are somewhat random, but important. A lot of political stuff is interesting. And according to a survey, Ron DeSantis leads Donald Trump for the Republican nomination in New Hampshire. So we're starting to see evidence that Trump is not the inevitable pick. Um, I think this is obviously a good thing, even if you're a Trump fan. I don't think that having no primary is beneficial um, because then there's there's no lessons learned ever. Um, I don't necessarily think Ron DeSantis would run against Trump anyway. Um, it just seems like DeSantis is a young guy. He's got a lot of time. And Trump, if you look at national polls, is just still dominating. But he's ahead in New Hampshire. He's won a couple straw polls uh, around some of the state conventions. So I would love to see primary. I mean, I think it would be great. I don't think we're going to get one still. I still think most likely we won't have a primary, just kind of be uncontested for Trump. But maybe not. Maybe there's we're moving towards a place where you could have a primary. That would be interesting. Speaking of Florida, disgraced Andrew Gillum indicted and arrested for conspiracy, wire fraud, and false statements. This guy became very close to being governor, and we would not have had Ron DeSantis at all. So he was indicted and arrested for conspiracy, wire fraud, and making false statements, the Justice Department announced on Wednesday. Gillum and his campaign associates uh, are um, alleged to have committed wire fraud by unlawfully soliciting and obtaining funds from various entities and individuals through false and fraudulent promises and representations that the funds would be used for a legitimate purpose. This went on for three years. And Gillum is facing a maximum of five years in prison for the false statements claim, 20 years for conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and 20 years for wire fraud. So he will appear in court, he appeared in court yesterday. And I uh, put out a statement saying what a great guy he is. So recall that he had been arrested when he was found in a South Florida hotel with baggies of crystal meth, beer bottles, soil bedding, etc. They mail escort there. Really embarrassing stuff. Just what a bullet dodge for the state of Florida. All right. Uh, next up, looking at Pennsylvania, the very odd Dr. Oz race, where Dr. Oz won by 1,000 votes over David McCormick and now is facing John Fetterman. Uh, Fetterman leads by six points in the Pennsylvania poll right now. And I note, it, I note this, not because I'm surprised by any of that. I think Oz is going to have a hard time. Not impossible through the red wave. 
Um, but Oz, very odd Republican choice. Fetterman, a pretty strong Democrat candidate. In a state that is looking more and more like it's a Democrat um, default state. In Pennsylvania, sad to say. Um, but one thing that's noteworthy here is if you look at some of Dr. Oz's social media branding, he went from Trumpian branding after writing the Trump endorsement to the nomination to now all the branding is literally blue. Like he's using a blue color scheme. So he's using like the Democrat color scheme. Very odd choices. I do not have high hopes for that race. I will keep you posted on it. And uh, if you want to know my opinion, if I was in Pennsylvania, I guess I would vote for Oz at this point. I guess I would. So I, I'm just saying that it's not an endorsement by any means. I'm saying I guess I would as bad as I think that some of his policy positions have been just because it seems like a better bet than, um, you know, stream lefty John Fetterman. So don't think I'm, I'm rooting against him. I'm just noting how odd the race is. In elections of consequences, and I do think that sometimes when you make bad choices, then sometimes you get bad results, but we'll see. Maybe we won't hear. Maybe we may get a great result. A Republican bill would allow for adults to sue doctors for youth sex transition. This is a, uh, we're, we're now in our woke update. We got to get some theme music for the woke update. Greg's on vacation when he comes back. We're going to have to work on this. Maybe some chime or something. But uh, I love this move. Uh, this is Jim Banks and Tom Cotton. Um, and a couple others are behind this. Doug LaMalfa from California also. And I um, will, we'll, we're gonna, we'll reach out to Tom Cotton and we will reach out to uh, Jim Banks, have them on the show, hopefully in the coming days, talk about this. But they would allow for adults to sue doctors who perform sex changes on minors, on minors in particular. Now, I'm generally negative, I'm suing doctors. Um, in my family, we will make a lot less money over time because of the way the uh, legal system works without, uh, we don't have a loser pay system. So you can sort of fraudulently sue people who don't deserve it in the medical world. So, so much of the money that goes into the uh, medical system gets usurped by lawyers and red tape and bureaucracy in order to try to not get people sued out of business for malpractice. So I, I the system is kind of broken in this regard. It's probably too much suing of doctors overall. But that said, if you are going to sterilize, if you are going to mutilate the bodies, if you're going to give puberty blockers, et cetera, cross-sex hormones, sex change surgeries to children, um, I would love to be able to sue the, the pants off those people. It's Dr. Mengele stuff. Or at least Dr. Mengele adjacent. How about that? You source-funded freaks. So uh, I dig it the most and uh, is the horror stories that have been documented of children who grow up and resent their sex changes and realize they were just in a phase and they were in a confusing part of life and we're trying to deal with a confusing part of life that's confusing for almost everyone and some more than others, of course, but for almost everyone to think that the solution is we're going to mutilate our bodies for life is something that should not be encouraged by the adults in society, much less have them benefit financially to do a physical mutilation of people. So I love this bill and uh, hope it succeeds. Um, another woke item, the U.S. Navy has released a video training sailors to use the right pronouns, the correct pronouns, and not misgender colleagues. And they literally have signs showing that there are uh, six people in this frame, in this uh, graphic that you can see, and two of them have they, them pronouns. Um, I had some local news on the other day, just uh, flipping channels for settled into my whopping 20 minutes of TV I earned at the end of the night. 
and um, I, they were doing a big segment on some trans non-binary person who had they, them phone, uh, pronouns. They were referring to the person as they, themselves. It's very confusing. We were talking about a one um, very confused, very odd 22-year-old, and they get to be plural. It's just not the solution, anything. And now the uh, U.S. military, all in on it. Remember, recall the U.S. Marines put out the Pride uh, Bullets graphic. They put out Air Force at a some sort of Pride art. Space Force had Queer Space. All these logos being put out on Pride, Pride, Mar- Pride Month. So now you've got Navy training video. Um, show that we're allies to create a safe space for everyone. How could the Navy have a safe space? The whole point is it's not safe. The world is not safe and the Navy protects us, right? Literally creating a safe space for they, them individuals who want to be plural. Um, now, I, all I have to say is that if we really thought there were some sort of geopolitical threats militarily around the world, that, that, what could they possibly be thinking about us right now? They would probably be very, very happy about things. All right, a couple other quick ones. The China has opened a communist school for politicians in Africa. I've noted one of the stories of the moment is that China is colonizing Africa right now. Africa is very rich in natural resources. It is a developing part of the world. Very Something that could be, um, I think, culturally, could go a number of different directions, and China's fighting for it very hard. This is why we need to get our act together in America, because we need to be influential around the world as we once were. And we're ceding all this territory to China, which is means the bad guys win. Putting China uh, communist schools for politicians, training up politicians to be communists. And they're going to get them on the dole with Belt and Road, etc., Health Silk Road. China's on the march. And last one for now, the Pope has rejected resignation rumors amid health struggles. We'll talk to, to Tom Williams about this in, in uh, next hour, those of you listening to the live show. Our own bureau chief. Uh, everyone is very jacked up on the, on the internet, which is not real life, on the internet about a potential conclave where the Pope would resign and there would be an appointment of a new Pope. Um, because Pope's in a wheelchair, he looks kind of frail, getting older. But his main health issue is a knee issue, as far as we know. Unless it's being held back, not to say the Vatican it is known for being forthright about problems. But is a he did have a colon surgery last year, we know that. So there's always a possibility. But as far as what we know is his problems with his knee. So this is one where I think a lot of people, their hopes up a little high. And now I am looking forward to the churn, the new Pope. I've never been a big fan of this Pope. And on many days, I'm a, 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 a whatever is the opposite of a fan, a detractor of his. But I think hold your horses. A lot of people on conservative media who are online who are acting as though um, the, the, he's on the way out. Now, I hope they're right and I'm wrong, to be honest with you. But I would not get your hopes up yet. Because his main problem is with his knee. So I don't think a lot of people are going to retire because they got a from being the Pope because they got a bum knee. Our first guest today is Trent Talbert, CEO of Brave Books. He is trying to not just 
comment on the culture, but he's now a part of the culture. He has he's had a lot of success with his newly launched book line for children with conservative and Christian values in it. It's commendable effort that uh, seems to be off to the races. Let's hear from Trent. So uh, walk me through the evolution, why you decided you wanted to do this and who you wanted to highlight and just give me the whole uh, mission statement. Yeah, so I was a full-time ophthalmologist um, and recently got married and and I had my first child, daughter Charlotte, in the summer of 2020. And within the first three weeks of her being born, well, she, she she was about two weeks old. I'm sitting there holding her. She's like falling asleep in my arms. I'm scrolling through Twitter, and I see that trailer for the film Cuties, and ah. it that just changed that changed me forever because I was totally blind. You know, like when you're not a parent, you sort of aren't paying attention to this stuff. But when you become a parent, things change, and what you pay attention to changes. And and so that just made me sick to my stomach, and I just started to look into it and. Uh, I saw that the number one book on Amazon that day was anti-racist baby. Um, the next, the next week, my business partner now, he got a, he got a Nancy Drew book for his kid and had a trans character in it. So it's just like all these things happen. I was, and it just, I became aware, my eyes were open that there's a real war going on for the hearts, minds, the souls of our kids. And, and when I was a kid, man, the, the books that I read, they really stuck with me. And they left a huge impression because I think books have a way of tapping into our imaginations that movies don't. They're just so active, you know. And and so that's where we decided to to plant our flag. And and the the, the idea was just that there needed to be an alternative that that not only parents could trust but could actively push back against a lot of the ideas that that this woke agenda is pushing. Yeah, I think that the. It is not enough simply to be passive now and to kind of chit chat about it and to complain about that the culture is basically run by people with values that we don't we don't have. It is now time to start actively pushing back. Uh, but, you know, it's got to be high quality. So how do you uh, who did you reach out to when you were doing this? Who did you partner with? Who are the types of creators that you felt like you wanted to work with to try to give uh, the, the, the some quality? So you're not just creating conservative content, you're creating good conservative content. Yeah, well, um, it's funny. So we uh, the books we make, they're undeniably high 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 quality content and but i i didn't really do that by reaching out to the to the most highly prolific highly sought after you know children's book writers i put together just this amazingly creative sort of ragtag group of of people basically from my local church and 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 then you know once we had the ideas for for the books and the stories then we'd reach out to to the authors you know so so my big fear in in leaving ophthalmology you know this is a solid career was was that i would go put my heart and soul into a project and just nobody noticed and so so the big strategy there was that we wanted to partner with with some um, high profile conservative icons that could help get the word out so sent out a bunch of emails. Ashley St. Clair was the only one that responded and she was like, yes, this needs to happen. And, then, and so she wanted to do a book on gender identity. We, uh, we came up with an idea for elephants, not, or not birds along with her. And, and then she helped get the word out and, and, 
and then our process is we've got a really creative team and we we work together with the authors to make sure make sure the story comes out with, with the message that they believe in um but we sort of like built this built our own universe and every story takes place in freedom island with the cast of characters that we've built so so we it, it, it's a, it's, a, it's a team effort to, to make these stories so bravebooks.us if you want to join you also have a book club tell us about the book club yeah, our, our model is a subscription model in, in which you get a book every single month whenever you, whenever you subscribe. Each book teaches a a new pro-America, pro-God, anti-woke value. So like this month, we partnered with D.C. Drano um, to do a book called Unmuzzle Me, Please on freedom of speech. Next month is we partnered with Zuby, did a book on health, fitness, and just taking care of your of your body and mind, and that's called Candy Calamity. Uh, but uh, past books, we've we've done um, Little Lives Matter on the Sanctity of Life, The Island of Free Ice Cream on the Dangers of Communism, um, an anti-CRT book, a, a Second Amendment book, uh, a book on honesty. So, so that that should give you a type of feel on on the the the, the, the books that we're putting out. Um, so, and a lot of those people are really talented people. DC Drano is one of the top meme makers. Zuby is really popular on social media, obviously really clever guy. Um, so where do you find the artists? Because that's, that's one thing that I've noticed a lot, that there's a lot of conservative artists who are out there and, you know, they're not the ones who are necessarily, uh, firing off, uh, spicy tweets online, but they're, they are there. And how, how do you find them? We... We sort of had to had to look far and wide and and put out a ton of feelers because we would get a ton of interest and then we'd tell them the the title of the book and we'd tell them the author of the book and be like oh never mind I don't want to get canceled and 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 we but we've had some some artists get canceled and and sort of had had um, had some blowback and, and lose some jobs because it's it's, a, it's just the craziest thing um, so so we we just had to look far and wide we found we found now we've we've sort of built a stable of of three three authors that are just incredible uh, but it, it took it took a lot of work because nobody wanted to touch it so i'm sure a lot of people are hearing this and they're feeling like they want to get involved uh, where would they go if you want to be a part of the production side if maybe they want to contact you and if they're artists in their own right maybe they want to be on your um on your radar for the future is there a place where they could go yeah, they can. Then go to bravebooks.com and and there's there's email addresses to email. Um, the the person that that handles coming resume his name's Walker. And you can email Walker at brave.us. Um, but yes, we are we're we're rapidly growing, and it's I mean especially with Cash's book, we sold forty five thousand copies of that thing. Wow. And, and and just 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 growing like crazy, and, and we need we need talented people in order to, to join us because because you know we're less than a year old and we're we we're doing something special need need some other special people to join us if, um, if we're going to get to where we want to get to um trent talbot is with me he is ceo of brave books which is creating a conservative and christian theme themed children books for kids and they're pretty clever i have cash's book on my shelf right now, uh, which is the plot against the king, kind of based off of a plot against the president theme, but uh, with uh, Trump as king. Um, it, it is a, uh, you're trying to do something also where you're trying to amuse the parents as well, which is, I always appreciate that as a courtesy, that these things are, you know, designed for kids, but the parents aren't going to be bored with it, which I think is really crucial. 
Yeah. Um, so, so when, when we have the dynamic of, of a parent reading to a child, you know, such a big aspect of that is how into it is the parent, you know, are, are they enjoying themselves? If they're enjoying themselves and they want to read, well, one, the book's going to get read to the kid more often. And then True. two, it's going to, it's going to create a more dynamic, fun, um, reading, which, which, which leaves, leaves a bigger impression and makes the whole thing more fun. So yeah, we, we try to leave little nuggets in there for the, for the parents. Um, we try to make the art as good as possible. I mean, we put so much effort into, to, into making these books as, as good as possible because our, our philosophy is, you know, our first and foremost priority is to make the, the, the books fun, make the story just captivating. And if you capture their, their mind, capture their imagination, then that allows you to, to get in the lesson that you want to give. And in the back of the books, so Cash's book was a one-off. It didn't have this, but for, for the, for the vast majority of our books, um, we have what we call the brave challenge in the back of the book. And that's got, um, games, discussion questions. And, and, and the point of that is just to create discussions between the parent and the child in order to, to turn the parent into the resource that children look to when they have questions about, about how the world works. And, and, and we want, we want the child to get their values from the parent and, and to help facilitate the transmission of values from one generation to the next, instead of, you know, going along with this idea that kids are supposed to get their values from the culture, because if we do that, we're going to lose our culture and right. we're going to, we're going to lose America. Well, and the truth is that the, you are going to get your values from the culture. And I think that anyone who's in denial of this is just, is just kidding themselves. So this is why it's so important for us to participate in the culture. And I say yeah. this as someone who, you know, I come from, Hollywood, uh, which is where I grew up, and I, you, you witness it, and you can. There are some people who will admit to you out in Hollywood that they are trying to influence the culture, and there are those who will lie to you and say they're not. But the the bottom line is, it, you can't help it. It just it has an effect. What you're consuming is going to have an effect in how you live your life. And so, why are we opting out of this? And the right has been very bad about this. So this is why I want to highlight your work, Trent Talbot, BraveBooks.us. If you guys want to uh, pick up some of them, start with Cash's book. It's a great one to 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 start with, and the parents will like it too. Um, so Trent, well, what's next? Is it more books? Uh, do you want to spin this off into some uh, TV, YouTube, movies? It's a do you have a longer goal, or is it just we're going to work on the books for now? No, yeah, we've got a pretty clear vision. And we, like you said, we want to enter culture and we want to be a major player there. In order to do that, we've got to be on screen. And so from the beginning, we've written our Brave series and we've created our universe and we've built our cast of characters that's sort of marvelous. We've done all this leading up to screen. And so so we've got a TV show that um, we've, we've laid out the vision for. We're, we're talking to to a few studios about making that happen. So, so that's a big, a big next step. Um, middle grade novels is, is another one. And, um, and we've, we've got a, a few more ideas outside of that, but, but, but as far as the next, next couple of years, those are the big two things that we want to see. We want to see happen. Uh, really exciting. Uh, and I appreciate the, the work you're doing. Uh, give me a quick thought on where you think we are with, I was just talking earlier 
about uh, the there seems to be some sort of a blowback particularly on the trans issue I know your first book I think that you guys put out was a trans related book uh, mm-hmm. and it is it does seem like this could be an issue where the left has gone so hard so fast on this one maybe this is the one where the pushback takes place because it just seems so objectively ridiculous that yeah, the especially at the same time we're hearing that you know you you can't be trusted with the Second Amendment until you're you know twenty or twenty five or whatever they want to do. Uh, but it, you can be at the in kindergarten. The kindergarten teacher just decides what gender your child is. It, it just seems like something that has got to give, especially when there's surgeries and uh, chemical manipulation that's going on. This has got to be yeah. a, a flashpoint for the culture. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. You know, like over the past few elections, we, you know, they're, they're doing the breakdowns of suburban moms, you know, white suburban moms or whatever. And and I was I was always wondering, like, what, like, how how are the suburban moms who have kids and, and they're seeing what's going on? How how is the left not losing them? And but, but they went they finally we, they finally, I guess, I think done something that really that really pissed off those suburban moms and and you know i'm in the i'm in the 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 parenting kid industry i can tell you there is a undeniable mama bear energy rising up and i think the trans issues is the the thing that really yeah that has really kick-started this because parents all parents feel it i mean Every parent, if their kids go to go to public school, private school, as long as they're not homeschooled, they've got a, a kid in their class, a friend that is identifying as trans. And and you know that we all, if you have any common sense and have met a child before, you realize how I'm saying this is. And and it's something, <laughs> it's something that um, is infuriating to parents and. And it's gotten their attention. And so, so yeah, I, I, I think that this one issue has done more to to wake up people than probably any other issue in the past 20 years. Um, as far as as far as what 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 this agenda is all about and the danger of this agenda. Yeah, right on. And best of luck to you, Trent. And hopefully you'll be able to uh, keep this going. Uh, one a month is pretty ambitious. So uh, best of luck along the way. And we're, we're rooting for you. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Bravebooks.us if you guys want to join the book club. Kids books with conservative Christian leanings. Good stuff. And uh, definitely would recommend Plot Against the King by Cash Patel, our buddy. <laughs> Our own bureau chief is Dr. Tom Williams, and he is a true expert in the areas of theology, but he's also a terrific reporter as well. So he gives us exactly what he believes is going on in the Vatican, which is seeing a lot of interest from the media that perhaps the Pope could be stepping down at some point in the near future. Dr. Tom, I will give you spoiler that he's skeptical of this. He gives his rationale, and then we get into other issues of faith, all that in the interview. And I've been told the Pope is about to step down any minute now because there's a lot of people hanging out in the Vatican. So uh, I have. this is where I call on you. You're in Rome. What do we know about the Pope? Well, we know that the Pope's health is getting worse and worse. He's now in a wheelchair, not all the time, but a significant amount of the time. 
Uh, we know that he canceled his uh, July trip to two countries in Africa, uh, citing health reasons because of a bad knee. Uh, but we also know on the flip side of that that he has not canceled his upcoming July trip to Canada, where he wants to apologize for the church's treatment of, of Native children in certain schools. Uh, he has not canceled his trip in September to Kazakhstan, where he is possibly going to meet up with Patriarch Kirill from Moscow, who is obviously a central figure in the whole Ukraine-Russia uh, war. Uh, so, you know, yes, there are lots of rumors going around. He has also called for a consistory to name new cardinals. He already announced who those cardinals will be, 16 new voting age cardinals in August. And the final kind of nail in the coffin that really led to a lot of this rumor mill was an announcement that immediately following that consistory that he would head to the town of Aquila in, uh, in Italy, where Celestine V, his precursor, uh, resigned famously in 1294. He was the last pope to resign before Pope Benedict resigned in 2013. And significantly, Pope Benedict XVI visited also that same tomb of Celestine in 2009, four years before his own resignation. So these are kind of the, the pegs, if you will, that fit into these holes and, and the reason why people are getting so anxious about the situation. But he also this week, he met with a Brazilian uh, a group of Brazilian bishops on Monday and kind of put these rumors to rest. At least that's the way it's been interpreted. He was asked about his health situation and he was asked about the rumors specifically about a possible resignation. And he said, that doesn't even cross my mind. So to say something like that, when you're actually thinking of resigning would be a little disingenuous. And I don't even think Pope Francis would, would do that. So um, personally, I, I see no real indication I, I, he loves to create these things also and kind of stoke the fire of this kind of speculation. Uh, he's done it before on other issues. He likes to create this kind of buzz and he, and he doesn't always want to, you know, tamp it down when he could. Um, but anyway, that's kind of the panorama the way I see it. So his main health issue that we know of, though he's got a few, but his main one that we know of is a knee injury. So that would definitely preclude some type of travel, but not necessarily mean he's going to resign. Absolutely. That is completely the case. And, uh, you know, another thing people are dredging up is that years ago when, you know, in these early years of his pontificate, he praised Pope Benedict's act as a heroic act, a courageous act when he stepped down. And he said that he'd opened the door for future popes to do so. He had also forecasted in the first year of his papacy that his papacy would only last two or three years. He thought, or at least he said he thought that it was going to be a very short pontificate. So, you know, these are the things but you, yes, you're right. I mean, his health issues last summer, he was his most serious uh, real health um, incident in, in many years. He had a chunk of his colon, his large intestine taken out about 13 inches. And but, you know, not that long after he was resuming his regular activities, despite the seriousness of, of that operation, which is exactly a year ago it was last July. Um, so, you know, anybody, anybody can say, but yeah, that's it right now. The only Thing. I mean, there are, if we really want to talk rumors, there are rumors that he has cancer. Uh, but as far as I can tell, those are completely unsustainable. Uh, there is no official source that has in any way uh, suggested that. One of also his closest friends and advisors, the Honduran Cardinal uh, Oscar Maradiaca, said this week also when asked by reporters, he said, 
this is a soap opera. The Pope has no intention of resigning. So, again, does that mean that he could not do it? No. But uh, there are a lot of signals, I think, that people are getting excited about something that they are kind of, you know, this is always the most exciting thing is the election and the end of the papacy. These are what people love to to get on board with. Yeah, it, it, it is that, exciting. And, and, you know, I would personally, I wouldn't hate to see it. And I just don't want to make sure the audience is, you know, getting a clear picture of what's really happening. So why do you feel like there is buzz around the Vatican right now? It does seem like there's a lot of cardinals. There is a lot of action. Uh, what is the action all about? Well, the action is actually quite normal. Uh, the Pope receives bishops and cardinals on a regular basis. He has his group of nine that comes in. He has regular what are called ad limita visits of regional groups of bishops that have to come in every five years to meet with the Pope. So this is an ongoing thing. Um, you know, living as I do about a 10 minute walk from the Vatican, I see a lot of, you know, at least the externals, you can see the you know, people coming and going. And, uh, and I don't, I don't think there's anything particularly outstanding about what we're seeing right now. It'll, it's a lot more what's going to come up in August, because then we're going to have all the cardinals who can get here will come for the consistory. That is a big deal. Um, that's one where, and it's, it's a little rare to call these in August. It's very hot. Uh, it's not a normal time of year. And the fact that he also is calling this consistory in conjunction with this trip he's making to Aquila, you know, that is, again, what kind of got people's attention. But what is happening right this minute, right this week, I don't see as a, much of a sign of anything, to tell you the truth. So interesting. So why do you think there is so much hype? Is it just that people just like hype or is it there is, is there anything that makes you think, yeah, I get it. I get why people are kind of jazzed on this thing. Well, you know, I, I think that what I've what I've said so far, I think that kind of is those are the factors. Nobody. Yeah. I haven't seen anybody cite really thing outside of this. They are. But, you know, this also leads to another thing is that people start speculating about who the Pope's successor will be. And you've got London bookmakers now laying odds. They've got a list of cardinals. They're different five to one, six to one odds, um, you know, based on what they think the probability is. So people are really, you know, thinking about this also in kind of a future context. What would a conclave sure. look like? And uh, their imaginations are running wild and some are very excited. Some are f afraid. And, you know, so, you know, it, it's something that people love to talk about when, when talking about the Vatican is, is this, transfer process and what the the pope the post francis church will look like yeah i think that makes um a fair bit of sense and i look forward to that but it, why is it so infrequent that popes resign and it's interesting to think about pope benedict um who i certainly viewed as a much uh, more impressive mind than pope francis in my personal opinion um, his papacy ended in 2013, I believe, and it's 2022 now. So it's kind of uh, remarkable. So he obviously wasn't on the brink of death when he uh, his papacy ended. Um, do you think that was a good move? Do you think he probably feels good about that decision? And why does it happen so infrequently? All right, that's a great question. Um, I I think that he must look back occasionally with a little bit of wonder whether he did the right thing. I, I He cannot be excited about what he's seen in these years because francis has actually done things and said things that that benedict would be appalled by uh and i'm sure has been appalled by so uh does he question himself i i would be very surprised if he doesn't i think what he did in 2013 was sincere i think that he did not feel that he had the strength 
for the type of reform that was believed to be needed and something that a lot of the cardinals had asked for. Francis was elected on kind of a reform platform, if you will. This week he was thought to be someone who could reform, especially the Vatican Curia, which is something that, by the way, has just kind of gone into effect now. He's written this new constitution of the, the layout of the different Vatican departments. I don't see it as that groundbreaking, earth-shattering, but you know, people are very excited. It's taken years for this kind of reform to happen. There was an economic reform needed with the Vatican Bank, which Francis has by and large finished with. Uh, and I think that at the time, Benedict just saw this as kind of overwhelming and something outside of his, you know, he was a professor for years. He was a bishop. He's a doctrinal guy. He's a, he's a cerebral kind of figure. And this more practical administrative tasks that he saw before him, I think he found a little overwhelming. Um, and finally, I think your, you know, your question, a very good one about why is it so infrequent? I mean, it's been always the understanding that the papacy, kind of like the Supreme Court, is, is a, an appointment for life, and you give your life there. And uh, someone, for example, like Pope John Paul II, who, who died very publicly, he wanted the world to see what it looks like as you get old and the end of life, and he did that in a way, just he wasn't ashamed of it. He's, this is what life looks like, and this is what the end of life looks like. Um, and I think that that was something also that kind of frightened Benedict. I think that he didn't know that he could do that, you know, so gallantly, if you will, as Pope John Paul II had. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And um, perhaps he was right. And again, he was always, it's interesting because, you know, for example, um, he, when I would, it, it, Pope Benedict was obviously much more interesting to read than to kind of see him be, uh, exist in the public square as a human being. Um, but obviously his uh, the brain, when he would put his put pen to paper was just leaps and bounds, I think, ahead of Pope Francis. But I the, I guess the papacy, you have multiple different uh, skill sets that could be used to your advantage. But uh, I just wanted to make sure that we caught up on that because it just seems like there's so much hype going on. I didn't quite buy into it, and now I know why I don't. But you're not saying it's like a no chance. You're saying that maybe it's a 20% chance that there's something up. Or even, or even less. But there, yes, or, or there's less. always the possibility. There, there is always the possibility. And Francis is his own man, and he, he does things just kind of also on the spur of the moment at times. So is it, is it possible? It's entirely possible. Um, but I just don't think if you look at the puzzle pieces, I, I don't see a complete picture here of anything resembling uh, a, a resignation as a probable thing. Um, and could I be wrong? Absolutely. I, I just don't, don't see it. Um, and no matter what, the speculation is going to continue through the summer. There's no doubt about that. And I think uh, I'll, I'll write up a, a nice follow-up piece to kind of sum up some of these some of these questions. And I think you know the, the bookmaking is very interesting. I think, and, and the question of people really looking forward and wondering. I mean, Francis now, as of August, will have named 83 of 123 uh, voting cardinals, I mean, a, a strong majority. And unlike his two predecessors, he has really made a point of only naming cardinals, those who are really in his camp. Uh, he really names his allies. He names fellow common progressives. Uh, unlike, you know, Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul II made a point of naming people that disagreed with them. They wanted to hear from that, and they thought that the church was better represented uh, by that. Francis has not done that. He is really trying to change uh, the direction of the church, and he is naming cardinals intentionally that have a mindset like his own.
Um, let me run by a few things, a few more things by you, Dr. Tom. The You've been reporting some really interesting stuff at Breitbart, and I want to get your thoughts on a few things. The First of all, the Pope has said that there's no place for nuclear weapons in today's world. Is this just happy talk? What does he mean by this? And it's a, we would all love a world with no nuclear weapons, but unfortunately, there's a lot of bad guys out there. So, you know, we we invented them, and, um, you know, now now we, we got them, and we wish... Russia didn't have them, but what are we going to do at this point? It just, it's just chit-chat. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, he, he has said this before. He's been very, the church itself, the Vatican has always taken uh, an anti-arms race position. It's always been in favor of a slow, at least, process of nuclear disarmament. Usually talks about that being multilateral, et cetera. Pope Francis has taken it one step beyond, and, and what I find a little bit disturbing in his words, is saying that it's not just the use of, of nuclear weapons, but the possession that is immoral. Calling that immoral is saying that that's sinful, that that's wrong to actually possess nuclear arms. And I think that from the perspective of moral theology, which actually my background, it, it, it's not, that's a tough case to make, that that is actually immoral to possess nuclear weapons. Um, you know, our own history, our own recent several decades history, the possession of nuclear arms and especially with the dissolution of the Soviet Union, you know, that was that was a deterrent. That was something that, you know, it could be argued was important in keeping, uh, you know, the Cold War cold and, and not allowing it ever to escalate to actual, you know, this fear of mutual assured destruction. It could be argued that was that was a factor. So I, I think it's a tough case to make that calling this sinful or immoral to actually possess nuclear weapons. That's a very strong thing for the Pope to say. Yeah, exactly. And then so what about people who ignore the Pope versus, you know, maybe people who actually listen to the Pope? Think, yeah, I'm going to disarm and then it's just leave the bad guys with nuclear weapons. Um, that, the, yes, exa exactly. That is the fear of, I think, right thinking people. You know, it's so funny, Dr. Tom. This is this is a real story because I went to I've had a, I've had a odd life, but uh, it is I went to a prestigious prep school out in California and a person who I had classes with who's a year younger than me, actually won the Nobel Peace Prize for his work to disarm nuclear countries. And it's just basically just being a part of a bunch of treaties that mean nothing. And it's a, you can get the Nobel Peace Prize for that. So I have a an old friend who won the Nobel Peace Prize for going around other countries and getting them to decry nuclear weapons <laughs> and uh, having and, and no progress being made. So this is... I mean, yeah, well, as, as you and I know, and I think our, our listeners know... Um, you know, if you get good, nice, honest people to disarm, you know, it's going to always be the Chinas of the world and the Russias of the world and, and the Irans of the world. I mean, these they have no interest in 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 doing what is right from this the perspective we're talking. Uh, they they have there's a, it's a question of power. It's a question. And I'm sure that in the U.S. there's that exists as well. But. You know, I, it, I think it is kind of Pollyanna-ish to think, oh, if you do it, everybody else will do it. Or if you do it, it'll be setting such a good example or whatever. But, you know, they don't think of the practical consequences, I think, of what that would look like in 20 or 30 years when all of a sudden it's only these really bad guys who actually have nuclear weapons and are able to hold it over the rest of the world. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, so next up I want to ask, I'm becoming increasingly obsessed with how uh, Joe Biden has 
uh, has removed some terrorist designations for clear terrorists in Africa who are targeting children. I don't know why he did this, but we're looking at Nigeria right now where jihadists kill three Christians and abduct dozens in Nigeria church attacks. This is another one where we just act like in the West that this is not happening. It's happening. It seems to be increasingly frequently, and we're not helping. We're not a part of the solution here. We're part of the problem. Well, I, I think I mean the list of bad things Biden has done, as you and I know, is is almost infinite. But one of them, uh, in the terms of international foreign policy, was the was the uh, lowering the level, uh, removing Nigeria from the list of countries of particular concern because of religious freedom issues. And we know that Nigeria is not getting better; it's getting worse. The the, the attacks on Christians are constant. Um, they happen every single week. And, and there, these are dozens of people killed time after time. We had that large 50-person massacre, actually two massacres on Pentecost Sunday just two weeks ago. I mean, this is something that's happening here and now. And Biden's State Department removes uh, Nigeria from the list of countries of particular concern. It's been called by Open Doors, this watchdog group. It's been called the country that is most dangerous for Christians in terms of the actual deaths of Christians on a weekly and monthly basis, there's no worse place for Christians to be. Why would you possibly draw attention away from that? And also with those sanctions that are meant to accompany that designation, right? Why would you stop putting that kind of pressure on a country like Nigeria? It just, you know, people are throwing up their hands. And I think human rights, you know, people on the right side of the human rights question are, are very disturbed. People like Nina Shea uh, at the Hudson Institute are just saying, why would the Biden administration do something like this? Yeah, exactly right. And we don't have an answer to this and we got to keep digging into it. And I'm going to personally make that a project because I'm very curious why you go out of your way to do something like this. that makes things easier for the most evil people on the planet. I want to ask you about Biden's transgender policies as well. We know that there's a political calculus to this. We know that he is no, he doesn't care about trans, trans, the trans agenda. It's purely about trying to garner votes. And Biden has spent 50 years in Washington prior to his recent trans obsession, not giving one iota about the trans community, which was presumably there latently and is, but he's going so all in that he's now endorsed this uh, trans indoctrination for children and he wants to have gender affirming care, which means making it easier for children with uh, only partially formed minds to start uh, mutilating their bodies and taking gender replacement therapy, et cetera, which could lead to chemical castration and the like. And he's all in on this after a lifetime of not caring about the, the subject matter. Uh, when does he, as a professed Catholic, when does he run afoul of the church with this insanity? Well, in this particular issue, he ran afoul of the church during, actually it was during his campaign, when he first started coming down as, as very much in favor of the transgender lobby's concerns, but in, in particular this, this issue of children, which has been you know, a real stumbling block for a lot of people. It's, it, it's terrible what he's in favor of. Um, and I think it was really to capture the the hard left. And I think that, you know, he, it's weird that even in his administration post-election that he has continued with this and, and making it front and center. Because it's something that, that is somewhat embarrassing even for people on the left. Uh, to, transgender is always the toughest letter of that LGBT and the rest of it. The T has always been tough because – 
a lot of, you know, many right-thinking people will say, oh, well, I have gay friends, I understand, love is love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes down to people saying you have to call that, you know, that, that boy a girl because he says that he's a girl or because this person wants to play in sports of the other gender, they should be a gender, they should be allowed to do so, et cetera. A lot of people say, hey, whoa, you know, that's, that's going too far. Biden hasn't done that. Biden has continued to play to the hard left on these issues. And, you know, the only silver lining I can see in this at all is that this is going to it's really going to hurt him and hurt his party in terms of upcoming elections, because it is so out of touch with mainstream America. Even people who you know are not don't think the way we think, but are better just like, you know, this is just too too much. Right. Um, he hasn't really cared about what the Catholic Church teaches on these issues for decades, as far as I can tell, because, you know, the first one, obviously, where he went radically a foul of the church was the abortion question. And he's always, you know, done this kind of ledger domain, you know, intellectual jumping from one thing to another saying, you know, personally opposed and, and publicly in favor. I don't want to impose my faith on people. We all know that this is not a question just of people's faith, you know, murdering, being against murder is not just because of the 10 commandments. It's because of something that is unjust and in, inherently wrong and that governments are in power to prevent. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you're imposing your confessional beliefs when you say theft should be illegal, murder should be illegal, et cetera. And, and abortion, we believe, is, is in that same category. Biden has for a very long time. Um, it is true that he recent, only recently in the last few years flip-flopped on the question of the Hyde and Helms amendments of actually you know, applying taxpayer funds against their will uh, to support these things. But again, it, it's kind of his gradual slouching toward the left and he's more and more lined up um with the more radical progressives in the party which you know again hopefully can only hurt him yeah i think that you're probably right but it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over time um the last one this one is kind of weird to me but we have an italian church offering public blessings to gay couples amidst the trans uh not the trans the uh, pride month craziness it's just that why can't we just abstain why do we feel like we have to uh, virtue signal on this one dr tom why can't we just let uh, people do what they want to do why do people feel compelled that we need to get on the record blessing these things well i mean this is this was a provocative act this is something that's not italy wide this is not something the italian church qua church has has embraced or, or taken hold. This was a group of priests outside of Bologna uh, that decided to bless a, a couple right after their civil union was. So they went from City Hall. These two guys wearing their tuxedos. They had their their union blessed. Uh, sorry, their union uh, publicly established uh, at City Hall. They walked across the, the piazza to the other side where there's the Church of St. Sebastian. They walked into the church where a group of priests were waiting to celebrate Mass. They were put in the front row, and the Mass was a Mass of thanksgiving, which included a blessing of this new union, something which is, by the way, forbidden by the church. The Vatican last year put out a document saying this: the church cannot, the, the church has no authority or power to confer a blessing on a homosexual couple as a couple, on the individuals and their struggles and whatever it might be, that's great, but we do not bless something that is not blessable. And a, and a homosexual union from the Catholic perspective, this is not something that is in accord with God's plan for humanity. And, and that's a, it's a very clear Catholic position. So it was a very provocative act. And what made it, I think, very newsworthy, particularly in Italy, 
is the Cardinal Archbishop uh, Matteo Zuppi, the Cardinal Archbishop of Bologna, who apparently gave his uh, approval for this. He, uh, the, the priest who was the main celebrant in this act said that he had informed the Cardinal Archbishop about this. Zuppi's on the short list of everybody's list of papabili, the ones who will replace uh, Pope Francis in an eventual conclave, and someone that the Pope himself recently appointed as the president of the Bishops' Conference in Italy. So he's a main figure, a, a big a uh, big guy here who has been well known as a supporter of the LGBT community. He wrote the uh, the preface for Father James Martin's book, Building a Bridge on LGBT Relations with the Church. So he's somebody that's been kind of out there on this. But this, by any standard, is beyond the pale because the Vatican has been extremely clear that this is not something we do. Dr. Tom Williams, a Rome Bureau chief. Very good reporting and analysis. Appreciate both. Thanks, my friend. Thank you, Alex. Thanks a lot to producer Haley pulling double duty today and producing the show and Robert Marlowe who helped me pick topics. And of course, thanks to all of you who told 10,000 friends and family members about the Breitbart News Daily Podcast and shared our content at Breitbart.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.